1: Good afternoon, I am Jim Shapiro filling in for vena Jones Cox Vina is uh, traveling this week uh, attending uh giving a workshop and attending a workshop she's going to be traveling a few times this this month so I am excited to be here today uh, today I have a a very special guest with us a gentleman named Wright Thurston uh, Wright will be attending the OREA conference in November on the 7th uh, to the 10th. And he'll be speaking today about some of the things he's talking about at the November ORIA event. Uh, Wright is uh, one of the few people in the world who has built a multi million dollar net worth in five totally different businesses in real estate, uh, starting his own business as a consultant, as a professional speaker. He deals a little bit in collectibles and, and consumer direct marketing. Uh, he's been, became financially independent. At age 30, as a result of part-time investment activities, in 13 months, he purchased five properties ranging from six to 25 apartments each. And using his uh, success strategies and techniques, he built a $9,000 a month positive cash flow and a million-dollar net worth in less than 18 months. He did this while working full-time. At the time, he worked for IBM Corporation. He now owns or has owned over 200 units, including apartment buildings, hotels, a shopping mall, uh, commercial land, uh, some, a private island in Panama. His real estate has been in the U.S., Canada, and Central America. He's a popular and entertaining speaker. He'll be uh, looking forward to hearing him in November. And he's given over 3,000 uh, speaking events across the country, sharing his principles and techniques that he's going to share with us today. He's been the president of three different companies. He and his wife are also involved with the Malaluca Company, the Fortune 500, and Inc. 500 company, for five years. They've uh, been very successful in that. They also collect classical music pieces. He's got an over 8,000-piece collection. Though Our focus today is going to be on small multifamily. uh, And so, Wright, are you there with us? I am, Jim. Good. Welcome to our show today.
2: Thank Uh, you very much.
1: Let me uh, note, if people are interested in hearing more about or, or, or attending, you can go to the wmkvfm.org website. Uh, today they ended their fun drive, but there's still the opportunity to sign up. If you join WMKVFM, you'll be given free, two free tickets to the OREA Conference, the, the 2013 National New Real Estate Strategy Summit at the Great Wolf Lodge in Cincinnati, Ohio, November 7th to 10th. Right. Welcome to the show.
2: Well, I appreciate being here, Jim.
1: Thank you. Uh, So tell me, how long have you been investing in real estate and what got you started?
2: Well, uh, my wife and I bought our first piece of property back in uh, 1976. And, uh, uh, you know, back then, the the American dream was, uh, you know, buy your own home. So we we did that. And uh, uh, but as we uh, started, I, as you mentioned, I was working for IBM, and uh, I, I loved the job. I loved working for the company, but I think a lot of your listeners that have probably had corporate jobs know that sometimes when you do well, uh, your companies reward you by increasing your quotas and cutting the size of your territory. And I realized pretty quickly in my mid-20s I was probably never going to have a kind of financial Independence. I wanted working for IBM, great company, but I I just realized I needed to do other things.
1: Okay, well that's uh, I actually came from uh, 13 years working in the Unisys Corporation, so I can relate to the sort of uh <laughs> thing you're talking about. And I got into real estate 11 years ago, and I haven't looked back.
2: So what? No, kind I of, think it's one of the best moves we've I've ever made for the you know financial security of my family.
1: Absolutely. So. And we're going to talk today about your your focus on small multifamilies. Small being yes. roughly twelve uh-huh. to forty to sixty units. Is that right?
2: Well, actually, Jim, a little, little smaller. I I like to say I think there's kind of a gold mine of opportunity in most communities between like uh, three to thirty units. Um, I've had larger than that, but I mean, uh, typically. You know, most people that are buying properties are buying single-family homes or duplexes, and people with a lot of money are buying uh, larger apartment complexes and commercial properties. And I've I just found a good sweet spot uh, between that that 3 to 30 units, and it, it's really wonderful when you're in kind of that 12 to 24-unit range.
1: Hmm. Now, that's an interesting comment. As I've uh, been involved with my own real estate, and I've heard a lot of people talk about multifamily, and especially some of my local associates who are in the apartment association who like the big ones. They like the 100-unit-plus. Uh, and then a lot of people talk about the single-family for the for the advantages it offers. Why do you – what is it about that 3 to 30 that makes you feel it's a sweet spot?
2: Okay. Uh, and, Jim, maybe I can back up and tell you why I even started getting into multi-units. Uh, when I – started with my job with ibm uh i was given an assignment up in alaska and it was during the alaskan pipeline days and at that time it made alaska uh and especially the fairbanks area one of the most expensive real estate marketplaces in the in the world i mean it was more expensive than tokyo and london and new york and la and uh, the few people that ventured up to Fairbanks to give seminars or to teach were primarily talking about single-family homes. The problem was in that marketplace, any single-family home you could buy, uh, it had a negative cash flow. And I, I was looking to have less negative cash flow in my life, not more. And so it was sort of just by accident that I I stumbled into the the, the multi units. I mean, one of the great advantages, and I, I think there's like a, a 11 or more, but one of the the real wonderful advantages is that uh, um, there's less competition. Uh, people are either really focused on uh, you know foreclosures and fips, flipping or or whatever as it relates to single family homes and uh... and like you said your friends boy good for them having a hundred units i mean that would be fantastic because once you've got your management system in place that that would be wonderful in terms of cash flow and having other people help you with the day-to-days but i i primarily jim i often will speak to what i would call uh... newer to intermediate investors who, who have some properties but they're frustrated because they don't have any cash flow and they want to get into something that they'll manage themselves that will give them cash flow. And that's why I call that uh, that that area, that 3 to 30 units, kind of a sweet spot.
1: All right. I'll come back to some questions about that management issue. Let me ask you a question about how do you find those properties? What's your strategy for finding in that sweet spot?
2: Well, as you and I were actually discussing the other day, Jim, a, a lot of the strategies that, that I've used to find the apartments that I've purchased are basically the same ones you've used for single-family homes. I think in the beginning I did ones that are going to be kind of real estate 101 for everyone. I I joined uh, apartment owner groups long before I owned any apartments and I got involved with home builder associations and I, I tend to injure myself when I use tools but I wanted to be around men and women that built things for a living uh, because I figure at some point in time they might have some inventory they can't sell fast enough. Um, I made it a habit every day to look at all the local uh, newspapers and and one of my favorite things in the early years is after targeting an area I wanted to invest in I would just get in my car and drive up and down streets sometimes looking for the obvious signs of mismanagement which are oh well <laughs> I mean, you, we've all driven by properties where we just kind of groan inside, or we don't even want to go near it because you know the the, the grass overgrown. It, it needs paint. There's uh, uh, sometimes there's cars out on cinder blocks. Um, it, it just doesn't have any curb appeal. And and so right off the bat, that's telling me that either the 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 owner is an absentee owner, maybe possibly lives out of the area or state, uh, tells me who's ever managing it for him has lost control of it. And these are all indications that they, they might be, uh, you know, willing to negotiate on the property.
1: Okay. Now, what's your strategy, and, and how does it, working in that that multifamily, where really you're now talking, well, at least once you get four-unit and up, commercial and not residential from a financing perspective, what is your typical experience, and, and what do you teach uh, people to do as far as financing. When you're talking a, a
2: sure, 10, and, and Jim, units. if I ever get too long-winded on any of these uh, answers, you just cut me off. But it's changed so much from when I started in 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 '76. Um, one of my primary responsibilities with IBM is I handled the financial institutions so I got to be very close to the lenders in town the, the larger banks the credit unions the savings and loans I mean I was in organizations with them like United Way and Rotary and and things of that nature so um, there was a time when relationships were so important I mean you could you could do a lot based on the trust factor and the people knowing you uh, that's that's less and less true today I find even at the banks that I work with that I'm in their private banking section they're certainly requiring a lot more these days, they're a lot more conservative, they want more money down. But uh, when when it's all said and done, I, I like a lot of people when I got started, especially being new at IBM and in the most expensive place in North America, I didn't have much to start with other than the desire. So I had to find things that were going to uh, at least break even or come close to break even. And and things that, uh, by analyzing it properly, I realized I could create value by, by decreasing expenses and increasing income. I guess that's where the IBM helps. And, you know, you've got a similar background. You know, you kind of learn to crunch the numbers, and you need to look at things. And uh, um, it, it, it's so important that you do your, your analysis properly on the front end so you don't get surprised on the back end.
1: All right. I think we're going to come back to a little more follow-up on that. But we're about ready for a break, so... Uh, before we take this break I want to remind everybody uh, you can look up information about Cincinnati Rea the sponsor of our show at cincinnatirea.com on the internet uh, you can sign up for the Orea new national real estate Strategy summit uh, november 7th to the 10th at the wmkvfm.org uh, if you have questions please feel free to call us at locally 513-772 five excuse me nine six five eight seven seven two nine six five eight or toll free from outside the Cincinnati area one eight seven 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 two nine six five eight. We'll be back in a minute. Hi and welcome back to real life real estate investing. I am Jim Shapiro sitting in for Vena Jones Cox today. My guest today is Wright Thurston. Wright is a uh, national uh, speaker on a variety of topics, and we're talking to him today about real estate investing and the small multifamily marketplace, the 3 to 30-unit size. Uh, before the break, we were talking about uh, financing. Uh, right, let me ask you a couple questions about, you talked about doing the numbers. A lot of people in our audience, especially that work in the single-family market, as they start looking at the bigger properties and the commercial Rather than residential uh, how do you how do you uh, do your financial analysis are you looking at comparables are you looking at uh, income based models for for value and then I want to follow up with with some more questions about you know different kinds of financing that you're using sure
2: and and Jim let me answer that and then if you don't mind I, I'd like to go back uh, to uh, just some other ideas on what I'm currently doing to locate prior properties and recognizing people that are motivated but let, let me answer this one you just asked um when you're dealing in these smaller multi-unit properties um uh usually around the world and i i have students in about 60 countries uh in fact i just recently got back from speaking in south africa uh and that terminology is a little you know is different in different places, but basically, you've got your your cost approach and your market approach and your income approach. And you know, cost is where they look at the cost per square foot or per meter to build or replace, and market is they use comparables, looking at similar properties. But income approach is really important um, because uh, obviously, if you're going in and you can recognize right off the, the bat where monies are being wasted. In terms of utilities or overpaying management or not being energy efficient uh you can save that way and as you make property improvements it it allows you to to move those rents up a little bit at a time without angering the the residents because they they see that you're taking care of them you're you're doing what you should and so uh um it, it's just I mean, I, I ask sellers for a copy of their Schedule E. I want to see what they're reporting to the government. I mean, I think all of us—I no matter who I'm buying from, even if it's a closest friend—I, I never take anyone's numbers without verifying them because people tend to overstate how much income and they tend to understate the amount of expenses. So it's just doing some basic homework. There's about 23, 23 things I do prior to purchasing a property, and and that you know, lets me sleep better at night after I've done them before I buy them.
1: Okay. Uh, it's and it's, I I think you'd probably agree, sometimes the difference between just one or two vacant or occupied units is the difference between break-even or not. And so I was working with one buyer. He was looking at a 72-unit property, and the owner had sort of made-up fudged things a little bit, and the difference of just a few made-up rents, made this property look w- worth a lot more, and then they ran all the real numbers, and suddenly the, the deal didn't work. Uh, well, exactly. So
2: it, it's, um, uh, and, and, Jim, one of the things, uh, I, uh, I, I have the privilege of speaking at this ARIA conference, and I'll be speaking twice on the Saturday, and there's a form I use, a simple form, that I get uh, the current um, owner, or I get his manager, to have filled out by the tenant's that I get before we close uh, where it it makes me, it helps me avoid some of those issues you're talking about right now. It, it lets me know exactly uh, what the, uh, if there were any initial deposits, if there was a last month's rent, uh, what the arrangements were that maybe were special or unique to them. And, and again, I think it's just paying attention to the small little things and, and paying attention to the details that make a big difference.
1: Okay. So, can I
2: jump back just a second? You asked me something um, earlier, and I gave you, I mean, I, I answered your question, and I told you what I did in, in you know, 1976 when I got started, but, you know, we're <laughs> long ways away from that point in time. So, Jim, just real quickly, uh, two things that I think your, your listeners might find interesting if they haven't done this already. Um, it's amazing, but you can find some really excellent properties around the country on eBay. And I'm always surprised really? when I talk to groups, uh, very few people have, have done that. Um, and uh, it, it's, it's just, uh, you know, if we had more time, I could give you some examples across the country of, of things selling vastly uh, below appraised uh, or market value through eBay. So I, I would suggest to your listeners do that also. Um, and I started doing this about uh, six to eight years ago uh, because I spoke in different countries, currency valuations are different. And for a while the US dollar, for example, was about 20% stronger than the uh, the currency in in Canada. So, I went up to Canada and bought some apartment buildings. And I did it because not only it was a good price, but I wanted to show my clients up there that a, you know, a Yankee from down in the US could come up and do it in their own backyard. And uh uh so um You always want to start out with things that I think are within an hour's drive of yourself, especially if you're going to be the hands-on manager. But as the years have gone on and I've gotten a good kind of turnkey management system where I can train managers that help me, um, I've loved buying properties in different countries and I've loved buying things in in unusual ways like on eBay. So I just just wanted to kind of get that in there, Jim.
1: Great. Uh, Before we go on, I've got a caller from San Antonio. George, Great. welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing.
0: Hi, good to have you speaking today. Uh, our local uh, investors' association suggests trying to go after uh, larger multi units, fifty and higher, because they have a management team there on site often, and and they say, well, that makes it a whole lot easier. And they say, "Go after that,
2: what do you think oh george i no i I agree completely, and by the way i just i I recently was living outside of Dallas in the Fort Worth area for three years so i uh, Texas is a great area and it's a it's a good area for for multi units for sure." In fact, uh, some of my most successful clients are in the in the Houston area and, and down not too far from where you are. And, no, I agree completely. Uh, but, George, let me just put it back on you. Let's say someone in your club has never bought a piece of real estate before or never been involved with multi-units. Do you really want them jumping in with 50 units as their first project? I mean, I, I wanted, I, I guess because I, I did it myself in my part-time while I was working my IBM job, I wanted to start smaller, get a feel for it, and I gradually moved up. Uh, The largest property I've ever had is 69 units. Uh, It's not that I was opposed to getting 100 units, but it just never kind of worked worked out in the areas that I was looking at. But no, I don't don't think that's bad advice at all. But again, you're surrounded in a club. You've got people there that are at all different levels, people that can help you that have, have done it before. You've got coaches and mentors. And so, no, 50 units makes a lot of sense for those very reasons. Management people, maintenance people, people that can take the burden from you. I guess I was addressing to Jim, uh, George, uh, those people that are are getting started are going to be doing a lot of themselves initially, and I just didn't want to have them bite off more than they could chew at the beginning. Okay, I understand. Thank you. You bet, George. Thanks for calling in.
1: Before we go on, I've, I I want to remind everybody uh, you can call you can email in questions at askvena at gmail dot com at gmail dot com and we're, we welcome uh, more callers at seven seven two nine six five eight so that management issue one of the reasons that some people shy away from this size is uh, it's it's not big enough to really support a full management staff like the like George was saying uh when you're dealing with a a 20 unit building how do how do you approach or how do you recommend a new investor who's getting involved approach the management uh, of 20 units in a case good, like that Good
2: good question Jim and if you don't mind I'm going to start even smaller um when I initially was buying three or four unit uh buildings I would I would find the tenant that I thought was you know, most respected and most presentable, I'd ask him if he'd like uh, a discount on his rent and if he would be willing to be an assistant manager and uh, take some few phone calls and do some things maybe in the later evening hours. And uh, that worked out very well. And when I started moving up to uh, probably about eight units or more, uh, then I could find someone not for completely full rent, but you could compensate someone quite a bit more. Um, And ideally, I I like to get couples where one had, you know, some bookkeeping talents and the other had some fix-it skills. You like to look for that combination for sure. And then as I got into the 20-unit range, I mean, it just, it does get better as it gets larger. More people think more units, more work, and there is more work, but there's more people to delegate the work to. So when you start having 20 units you've got a full-time manager, you've got an assistant manager, you've got a a part-time maintenance person. So, I mean, uh, great things happen with 20-unit buildings. The cash flow is nice, the depreciation is nice, the potential increase of value. Uh, Again, I I don't teach Jim on anything I haven't done myself, and I was the hands-on manager probably for about the first uh, seven to ten years of investing, even though I had people on site I was overseeing them because I wanted to make sure, you know, from my IBM background that, that we were checking off all the correct things and we had a good system in place.
1: I think I want to come back to that question about systems, but let me ask you a couple more questions uh, about the the kinds of properties you're looking for before we go into more detail on the systems. Are there things that would keep you from buying a property? Are there things that you particularly like? Are there things you particularly don't like? Uh, unit mix, location, garages, swimming pools. Uh, give me a little bit of input on on those sorts of factors. What what are the the key selection criteria?
2: All right. Um, you know, I I had a colleague years ago. Uh, he wrote a book. I don't think he's he's in the industry, although I'm sure he's an investor. He he, he put together a little course called uh, uh Big Bucks from Bad Buildings." And I made me chuckle because uh, one of the names, Jim, of, of one of my courses is Diamonds in the Rough, and that often uh, some of the very best gems or properties are, are covered up by, by dirt or lack of paint or mismanagement. And so I, I've kind of put together what I call a four-part property improvement program, where you've got to, first of all, you know, get your own attitude right. You've got to, you've got to realize that, uh, the, the key to being successful in this is having a good program to deal with the tenants and the toilets. And people, no one wants to really manage, but you've, you've got to, you've got to have the right attitude. And then you've got to take care of the tenants because most of the properties I've bought, Jim, I, I think I, I tend to look for the ones not that are certainly not slums and not run down, but I would say, uh, lower blue collar i might even have 10 to 15 percent of my tenants be section 8. um i mean good good solid hard working folks uh, who aren't afraid to you know change the light bulb themselves or or do something um uh so i i I look for properties a little more older that need a little more maintenance because i can do more with the valuations now you asked me about swimming pools and whatnot Uh, that's that's an area that of course as george mentioned early if you're getting up to 50 or 100 units you're probably going to have a pool especially if you're in a warm weather area like texas but boy really important to have good insurance and gates and procedures and policies because uh you know tragic if a small child or or someone got in there unattended so uh, i i myself have tended to stay away from swimming pools but again if you 're looking at larger units you 'd almost have to in this day and age to be competitive but that that would be a scary thing I almost had we have a we've had a pool at a lot of our homes, and I almost lost one of my kids about twelve years ago when when some boy scouts using the pool forgot to shut the door and a little baby crawled out there so pools are one thing that that make me nervous, but uh, I think the more nice features that you have for people maybe uh maybe game rooms, uh, uh, places where people can interact, a clean and pleasant laundry room environment, uh, so, so people are wanting to spend more of their money on-site rather than going elsewhere.
1: Okay, good input. All right, we're about ready for another break, so we'll be back in a couple minutes. Call us with questions at one 772 9658 or locally, 513 772 9658, or email us at askvina at gmail.com. Hello, and welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I am Jim Shapiro, filling in for Vina Jones-Cox. Before we go back to our guest today, I want to remind everybody, uh, Cincinnati REA, the sponsor of Real Life Real Estate Investing, we have our next general meeting on September 19th at the Community Action Agency in Bond Hill. We've got three uh, different topics going on that night. The first one for new investors is how to build the team you need, uh, how to put together the right group of professionals to help you find deals, close your deals, and keep your business running. The active investor for experienced uh, folks is uh, one of our board members, how I buy rentals without using my own money talking about real hands-on experience he has with creative finance. And then at 7.30 in the main meeting, uh, one of the RIA vendors is going to be talking about, he's a property, he's an engineer, excuse me, building engineer, and he's going to be talking about how to recognize and avoid fatal conditions in properties. I can tell you I have gone to a lot of properties with my clients to look at, and knowing how to find the things that will be Potentially devastating, uh, whether it's foundation cracks, uh, collapsing retaining walls. You miss a $20,000 retaining wall because you're focused on the inside and not the outside. And then in five years, you get a letter from the city that you need to rebuild a wall. That is not a fun deal. Uh, our Matt will be talking about the most common hidden problems that investors miss. So join us at Cincinnati Rea at Uh, Community Action Agency, on September 19th. Uh, Back to our guest today, uh, Wright Thurston, who will be joining us at the National New Strategies Summit for Real Estate Investors and Landlords in Cincinnati on November 7th to the 11th. Uh, The Great Wolf Lodge, we're going to have some wonderful speakers at that event. In addition to Mr. Thurston, uh, Laurel Langmeyer will be our keynote speaker, talking about uh, her Her subtitle is The Millionaire Maker. And then we're really excited to announce that Michael Gerber, uh, the author of The E-Myth and The E-Myth Revisited, he will be our banquet speaker. He spoke to us a few years ago. Uh, He is a dynamite speaker talking about how to avoid the entrepreneurial mistakes that so many investors, so many small business owners make. Uh, The E-Myth is a multi bestseller on every list, and we are really excited to have Mr. Gerber joining us again. So, back to our guest today, Wright Thurston. Uh, We're talking about small, multifamily, 3 to 30 unit size. Uh, We've been talking a little bit about the management and how to find them. Uh, Wright, you've told us that you own property in different cities, Uh, and I think you said you start out, you recommend starting out someplace within an hour of where you are?
2: Oh, uh, of course. It's always easiest, especially if you're the one doing the work, to have it, you know, within a reasonable driving distance. But uh, after, uh, Jim, I initially bought those five apartment buildings in my first uh, 13 months of doing this, uh, my my work with IBM took me 2,500 miles away from those properties. So I really quickly had to kind of implement a long-distance management strategy And and again, because I had done it and I was now capable of hiring good people that I could report with, this was long before we had computers and all the software wonderful things that we have now. And and once I realized that I could manage things 2,500 miles away, I thought, well, I probably can manage some things outside of the United States and find some things at discounted prices. And so that's sort of the path I took.
1: Okay. Uh, What would you say are the top three skills... Someone who wants to be making money and properties like these should should have or should develop. I had to pick three.
2: Yeah, I, I will. And uh, Jim, Jim, as I as I do this, uh, I remember a friend telling me once on a question similar to this. He said, "What what people really need to be successful? Sometimes they don't want to hear. They they all want to hear about the tricks of the trades or the secrets. But I I think it comes down to." Having a good work ethic, I, I think it comes down to being persistent and realizing that you are going to have some rejection and you are going to have ups and downs, and and just having that old PMA, that positive mental attitude. Um, there's a lot to be said for being persistent and consistent. Um, I I I'm a firm believer that you know race, color, creed, educational background, all those things. Don't really matter. What matters is is that you are you are focused, and you say, "I'm gonna, no matter what, I'm gonna do this for 12 to 18 months, and I'm gonna commit an average of a certain amount each day uh, towards achieving my goals and objectives." And then you just don't let anyone deter you from that.
1: Okay. So positive mental attitude that is so important for anybody who wants to run their own business. Persistence, consistency. What sort of technical skills would you say, or the management skills? that are really uh, important to to put together as, as part of your, your capabilities?
2: Well, <laughs> I think that uh, it certainly helps to be a people person, um, to give people the benefit of the doubt. I've tried over the years, no matter how blessed I've been or how much success I have, to always remember back what it was like to be, uh, struggling in those those early days, where there wasn't a lot of cash, and maybe credit wasn't the way it should be, you know, I I, I try not to forget things like that. Uh, you know, you you got to walk in somebody else's shoes sometimes. To uh, so, I try not to judge. At the same time, um, I, I think if you if you if you treat people well, you you can't you can't let people walk over and you. And you, there's all kinds of rules about not getting too friendly or too close. But I think, uh, and the name of my management course is Fair But Firm Landlording. I I think you can be fair. I think you can be a nice person, but, you you know, they they understand when they get in. You make sure they're agreeing to things before they get the keys, you know, when they sign the contract. And uh, I just try to never run my real estate as a hobby because, you know, if you run something as a hobby, you're going to get a hobby check, and if you run it as a business, you're going to get a business check. So I try to take what I learned from IBM and what I learned from other, I had a lot of people coach and mentor me that were local apartment owners in the community that I started in. Very grateful. They would let me get carpet remnants from them. They would let me get extra paint at discount. They would They would even come in initially and show me how they would redo an apartment quickly in a day or two. And so um, and, and then you need to express gratitude and appreciation. But I I fully acknowledge that I had a lot of people that were great to me, and I think when you've been blessed, you need to pay it back and and help others as well.
1: That's a a wonderful suggestion. I I think that is really, I agree with that 100%. Let me go back to a subject we talked a little bit about earlier. Let's bring up the subject of systems. Uh, I understand you're a proponent of checklists and systems.
2: Yes, and, and, and Jim, I think I think it's because my dad uh, was in a, a naval academy, an Annapolis graduate, uh, a career pilot for the Navy, and I have just heard so many stories where dad would tell me that there are so many checklists and guidelines that aviators uh, and pilots go through before they ever get into the plane. And when people try to take shortcuts and they don't check off everything properly, that's when you not only can hurt yourself, but hurt others. And so I've tried to have various checklists. Uh, Again, the first book I ever wrote was called The Seven Step Checklist for Successful Investing. And I just, after I bought those five properties in 13 months, I went back to my journals and my notes, and I basically just wrote something for my kids so they could see later on what their mom and I did long before they could remember any of this, and the hours we put in and what it took, and I, I had a checklist for how to locate bargain properties, and I had a checklist for uh, you know how to recognize motivated sellers and what you do before you buy a property, and, and just so on and so forth. The systems that acronym, if you break it down, the S-Y-S-T-E-M, uh, i 've always liked to say those six letters stand for "Save yourself." time energy and money and i believe that people that have systems and checklists have a better chance of being successful as someone once said that wealthy people use systems and broke people don't so i again i guess it's my ibm background i've always tried to have a checklist i've always had to have systems because after i i had my success in real estate i thought i wonder if that systems approach would work in an entirely different unrelated business and and it did. And not just once for me, but five different times and unrelated businesses. So I'm a huge component of people uh having a good beta checklist, a system, whatever, so that they make sure they're they're dotting all the I's and crossing all the Ts.
1: So these are also some of the the items you're gonna be talking about at the OREA event then. You're you're you've got some classes and, and, and tools on these subjects, is that right?
2: Oh well, and absolutely. And I, I, Jim, I'm enjoying being on this. But yeah, my intent when I'm in OREA is, you know, I, I want to. I'm going to start out by telling people of my clients in 60 countries, the ones that have been most successful. There, there were kind of five things all of them did. I mean, I've done surveys on this again. It's my IBM background, and I'm going to talk about all of those. The seven steps on the seven ch- step checklist, and I'm going to talk about. The the eleven reasons why I think multi units and initially because George is in at San Antonio and it looks like he and his group can start off with fifty, but I I usually make my new brand new students promise me that they're not going to go too big too fast, uh, and so that's why I I you know I talk about that uh, three to thirty units and and just again I had so many people help me when I got started and I remember one said to me hey. I'll teach you everything I know, but when you get successful, you just can't kick back. You need to turn around and help others. And so I I think if you've had good coaches and mentors, you need to do that same role yourself and help others as well.
1: We have a question that was emailed in. It goes back to some of our topic earlier about when buying your apartments, how do you go about securing funds for updating units and complexes? So I would say Uh, rather than the purchase side, how do you keep, having the the funding so you can go in and do the upgrades, so that you can make the the value improvements that you talk about?
2: Um, every property varies of course but I'll tell you some things I've consistently tried to do um, and again this may be different for someone listening in, in Florida I was up in uh, Alaska so Florida is more concerned about air conditioning I'm more concerned about heating in those Alaskan winters and so I knew I would I would lose a lot if my properties weren't energy-efficient. And so I made sure very quickly I would look around for any local or state uh, grants that were offered. And uh, uh, I can remember on the first uh, 24-unit building I bought, I was able to get a grant, a free grant. I didn't have to pay back that allowed me to put uh, brand-new, heavy-duty, insulated doors, front and the back of each apartment, better windows, you know, double pane triple-paned, that just really cut down my heating bills, Um, I I, again, not always possible, I realize, in in the early goings, but I try to to set up, if I could, lines of credit or even jiffy loans. Um, I never want to advocate people, you know, charging more than they have the ability to pay back, but, you know, I definitely put some things on credit cards initially to, not to buy the property, but to do the improvements. You got to do the improvements. And, uh, and I had a rule, Jim, that even when we refinance properties, because at a certain point in time, as I increased the, the the net operating income, and you know, I was, and the bankers could see I had more cash flow, I would take monies out. But when I took the monies out, I, I wasn't going on trips to Hawaii or anything. I was putting them back into the properties. I was uh, insulating the roofs better. I was I was fixing the curb appeal and putting the fresh coat of paint on. I was maybe fixing the potholes that had been there forever in the driveway. I was getting better um, washer-dryer machines. And not only did it, did it get me a better quality tenant that was happier, but they'd stay longer, and they understood when I said, hey, we need to make some small rent adjustments once a year or so. So it's, it's a, you know, for experienced listeners, they know these things, but for newer people getting started or people that have started and had bad initial experiences uh, I, I think it's so important just to uh, make sure you see the big picture and then you address everything appropriately.
1: Now, have you used seller financing on your acquisitions?
2: Oh, uh, most of the time. And that, that was one of the reasons why I, I love multi-units so much, Jim. Um, I would say at those first-buy properties, um, there was very little bank financing involved uh, because I was buying properties, quite frankly, that were 30, 40, 50 years old. Um, the notes were typically carried by individuals and those notes were assumable and of course when you're dealing with individuals instead of banks uh, you can do it a lot faster without points uh, they can give you concessions like maybe interest only on the second mortgage for the first six months and you tell them I'm gonna take the monies that I'm I'm not paying in principal, and I'm gonna put it back into the property and they can monitor that but no one of the great advantages of, of multi-units except for the brand-new ones, is there is a lot of seller financing involved.
1: And so you're able to use the second mortgages from your sellers in some cases to go back and, and do the updates?
2: Oh, no, absolutely. And um, uh, not to get too technical, but I, I often when I buy, I like to buy from contractors. I like to buy from people that have overbuilt too many properties, and they'll often do subordinations and substitution of collaterals with me where maybe they'll uh, let me move a mortgage uh, off of the property onto my personal residence. So they're, they're completely secured, but that gives me some flexibility to get some monies to put back into the property and things that are going to enhance the value. Um, you know, I think, Jim, I bought a lot better in my early years when I didn't have any money than I do now. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, 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 you had to. And so I'm I'm grateful for for that experience, but I'm a big believer, and I don't want to – I'm not trying to simplify this or make – but I realized if I didn't have the money, somebody else did, and I even went to some of my IBM colleagues. I said, hey, would you like uh, some more tax deductions? Would you like a better rate of return? Would you like a little cash flow? I told them, I'll find it. I'll manage it. I'll do all the work. You never even need to be bothered with it if you'll come up with a down payment, and we'll split it 50-50. And I did that on several occasions with people in the community in my early years.
1: Okay. So that sounds... uh, Those are the same strategies we we all keep hearing about, and I think in the multifamily market, with a little bigger prices, that's even more important than in the single-family market.
2: Absolutely. So
1: how do you recommend people create systems that'll work for them?
2: Well, uh, I... I wish I didn't have any real estate. I didn't have an area. Uh, I didn't have any of these real estate investor associations up in uh, Alaska, and uh, at the time, anyway. And and that's why I thought, well, where can I go? And uh, maybe I had an advantage uh, being with IBM. But I, I I believe in the adage: if you start at the top and work down. And I I made appointments with some of the most successful business people in the community. And I guess they thought I was calling on them as an i b m person, but I'd sit down with them and said, "Hey, you've had a lot of success would you could you take just a few minutes and and share with me some things that I can learn from so I won't make the mistakes and They told me later their own kids and grandkids had never asked them that, and I find that successful people are willing to share if if you you ask them in a nice way and if you're grateful and you're appreciative and uh when that was working so well, I, I joined an apartment owner's association when I had no properties. And I, I told you earlier, I got involved with home builders. Just I wanted to be around people that had the kind of properties I was looking at, and, and that strategy worked well for me.
1: Great. Well, let me, uh, let me turn one of our questions around. What do you think are the top three mistakes you've seen people make when getting involved with the small multifamily market?
2: Um well we 've talked about one repeatedly. They buy too much too soon they, they They think okay, right, saying three to thirty units, but you know because i'm i 'm showing in the presentation and they can see that you know a, a twenty four unit building produces more cash flow than a three unit building uh, they 're really tempted to hop in to something too much too soon so I, I think that's that 's a big mistake. I think that uh, people are naive to the time commitment and the management knowledge that's necessary to do this properly. I think management headaches have turned off more real estate investors before they ever got started just because they they got overwhelmed and a third one that comes to mind and Jim there's a lot more than three sometimes people buy on emotion. They'll They'll buy because of the pride of ownership, it's newer, it's nicer, they can tell their friends, yeah I own this pretty property over there. Well I want a property that looks nice, it's structurally sound, but it doesn't have to be the prettiest property on the block. In fact, that can be a disadvantage at times, but uh, you've got to take the emotion out of it. You've got to, the numbers either make sense or they don't. You've got to, you can't take over someone else's headaches and, unless you have an action plan to reverse them and reverse them quickly. So I guess those would be my my, my three. Keep, keeping the emotion out of it, not, get, not getting more than you should, and I've, Forget, I forget the other thing I just told you.
1: Uh, too much too soon. There you go. Well, it's funny you mentioned the buy with emotion. I have a friend who uh, he, he always wanted to buy these small multifamilies in uh, the neighborhood called Oakley in Cincinnati, which is a real up-and-coming neighborhood. And right up the street is a neighborhood called Madisonville. And the same property that he was paying 164 in Oakley, he could probably buy for 40 in Madisonville. And I used to say to them, would you rather have a property you're excited, you're proud of owning, or a property that makes you money? You know, because paying full price, you know, the, the higher-end property for $120,000 more was only re- generating an extra couple hundred dollars a month in income. The rents weren't so um, different, but the prices Jim, were dramatic. We're almost out
2: of time. I, I want to just mention uh, one other thing, uh, again, probably common sense, but for new investors that are listening in. I used to always, before I'd buy anything, I would I would get at least one or two contractors to go over and look at the property, because in my early years I, I wasn't knowledgeable enough to know whether something internally was was okay. You know, I didn't understand about wiring and, and asbestos and all you know and all these other things that that you know are lead based, all the things you have to deal with, but. Uh, a good contractor sometimes for the promise of future work and a nice meal at Sizzler afterwards or something, they'll come and tell you if it's structurally sound. They'll tell you what's a problem and what you're going to need to do. And, uh, and again, that's one of the, the 23 a, things I like to do before I buy. That's a
1: great suggestion. Right. I need to. We're running out of time here. I want to just thank you very much for joining us today. I want to remind everybody. Go to wmkvfmorg.org and sign up for the OREA Conference and come back next week for Real Life Real Estate Investing.